If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio. DFS Strategy Show right here on Awesomo.com as we get you ready for Saturday's UFC Vegas number 19. That is a fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. And do us also a favor, hit that like button because it's Pete's birthday. Happy birthday, Pete. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us, guys. What's up? Of course, uh, or if you're listening uh, after the fact, uh, give us a five-star review on uh, your favorite podcasting platform. That does help us out a lot. So, as always, we do appreciate the support that we get over here at awesomeboat.com. Pete, we have got a 15-fight fight card. Let's hop right into it. Main event is a fight that we talked about back in December. Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis. Of course, uh, we all know Curtis Blades, a massive betting favorite in this one. Minus 420 on the betting odds when you look at Derek Lewis. Plus 345. Pete, break it down for us, man. Yeah, so, I mean, you have an incredible wrestler in um, Curtis Blades taking on Derek Lewis, who, you know, ultimately underperforms in a lot of his fights and then somehow, you know, finds a way to win when he's losing. If you think about the Volkov fight and, uh, you know, his volume is, you know, minimal at times. He's always waiting and then just in, you know, perfect Derek Lewis fashion, you know, comes from behind and secures some victories. Um, you know, even think about the, the previous fight against uh, Alexi Olenek where, you know, he was taken down and then had to uh, overcome being put in that neck crank. And, you know, long story short, you have an amazing wrestler facing Derek Lewis who has, eh, okay, takedown defense, if that. Um, you know, but once he does hit the mat, he seems like a fish out of water. And I will say that, you know, Curtis Blades has excellent control. Uh, he virtually controlled um, Volkov for 19 minutes of that, title, of that uh, main event. So that's pretty crazy. And I do think that, uh, you know, Volkov has a better stand-up ability, being able to get back to his feet, better take down the fence, made Curtis Blades work. I understand that Derek Lewis has the physicality factor about him, the power about him. He's always one punch away from, you know, turning the tides and, and coming back from, you know, some, some bad sticky situations. But for me, I do think that Curtis Blades is the side to play. GPP target Lewis can definitely get you a knockout, but it's a equivalent to a puncher's chance. And I, I will say that Curtis Blades is the smart side of this fight when you take into account control time, takedowns, and ground and pound. And I actually think that he could get him out. 
out of there, you know, inside the distance. Yeah, actually, when I think about one of uh, what I believe is one of the best bets in terms of the betting odds for this fight is Curtis Blaze via TKO KO minus 145. I was actually surprised to see that the submission prop was not even higher than what it was. It was like, I think it's like plus 945 because Pete, you know this, when Curtis Blaze goes to the ground, I don't think I've ever seen him go for any type of submission attempt. Yeah, exactly. He hasn't secured one. So, um, you know, maybe maybe Saturday's the day that he does it because I, I will say that a guy like, uh, you know, Derek Lewis is going to have to really increase his work rate. And I think that, um, you know, the work rate could end up breaking Derek Lewis. I mean, you also talk about how, you know, going into each camp, you never know if Derek Lewis is going to be healthy. He's got a back problem, his toe, his big toe. You never know. You know what I mean? So it's always something with him. I love Derek Lewis. Like, I, I absolutely love Derek Lewis, but I do not think that this is a good matchup for him. I don't think that Curtis Blades will be suckered into a brawl. I think that he's going to be very methodical, go out there and grind down Derek Lewis and finish him one way or another. So uh, inside the distance, I like quite a bit. And you look at the uh, the salaries here, 9400 for Blades, 6800 for Lewis, and we're on FanDuel. $23 for Curtis Blades, $17 for Derek Lewis. I mean, obviously, Derek Lewis, you mentioned about it. It's, you know, break this one down is really easy. It's called keep the fight on the feet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the things that Curtis Blades, he's going to have to, is that quick burst up that we do see from Derek Lewis, or sometimes just feels like he's not doing anything on the ground. And then all of a sudden, he has this magic burst up. Uh, but I think that this fight is, is to me, it's, it's all about Curtis Blades. He's, he's made, you know, no bones about it. He, You know what he's going to do in this one. Um, and then uh, if you didn't see on the UFC Twitter account yesterday, uh, Derek Lewis having a little fun with a guy uh, for the UFC production team interview. I'm going, yeah, I'm an All-American. I'm going to take him down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Derek Lewis did show, you know, some, you know, advancements in his game, you know, and he was in some tough positions against Alexi Olenek. But uh, I just think the pace, the pressure of Curtis Blades, uh, I mean – I, you could do worse than, than Derek Lewis. I mean, in the UFC, he's 15 and five, and he always finds a way to win. So I do feel like I will be rostering the main event in most of my lineups just because of, you know, the, the potential that Curtis Blades has on this card um, and also the KO, you know, shot that Derek Lewis has going in. But I'm definitely leaning Blades pretty heavily. 80% exposure on the fight? One more. Uh, of the fight, yeah, about that. I mean, there's 15 fights, so so maybe not that high, Jason, but I do feel comfortable that Blades will get a win. And, you know, if you look at some other fights, like it's it's a toss-up between a lot of other fighters, and this one I feel pretty uh, pretty good that Curtis Blades is going to get it done. And then the co-main event is going to be a female matchup between Caitlin Vieira and Yana Kuniskaya. Caitlin Vieira, a minus 265 betting favorite. On the other side, it is plus 225 for Kuniskaya. 9300 on DK for Vieira, 6900 for Kuniskaya over on FanDuel, $22 for the favorite, $8 for the underdog. Pete, uh, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so this is a nice matchup. I mean, I don't know if I agree with the co-main event slot, but I will say that, you know, Ketlin Vieira is a very, very talented fighter within the division. She's very strong, and I think the most impressive part of her game is her takedowns. I think that she mixes in her takedowns so well, and uh, she has such variety. Like, you see lateral drops, you see uh, haragoshis, you see uchimata throws, like you see a lot of judo-esque takedowns, and it's really nice to watch. Um, You know, against Yana Kuniskaya, I think that Yana Kuniskaya in general, like 
I think that she's been somewhat underwhelming. Uh, she came in, obviously debuted against uh, Cyborg, which was very, very tough to do or, um, you know, getting, getting put up against Cyborg. I think it's just a, a very tough task. Um, but and then since then, she's kind of just been inconsistent three and two in the UFC. Um, I, I think that she obviously needs to keep the fight on the feet. You have seen her mix up some takedowns as well. But I think if she goes that route against Caitlin Vieira, she's going to lose the scrambles. She's not going to be as strong as Vieira. Vieira has the uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu advantage in this position. So um, I am favoring Caitlin Vieira quite a bit. I just don't know if I agree with that price tag. I think that she's going to get a you know a pretty easy victory here. Has a nice win over Sajara Eubanks, who I do think is better than uh, Yana Kuniskaya. Different style, but I do think that Sajara has good boxing, good jiu-jitsu, um, just fatigues over, over the course of the fight. So I do think that that win kind of aged well. Um, 9,300, I just think that there's probably better spots to go. I'll definitely target Ketlin Vieira because I, I like the potential and I do like watching her fight. Um, you know, Yana Kuniskaya, not really a fighter that I will be targeting much. I would much rather, if I'm going to go that low, go to Derek Lewis and hopes that he gets a, uh, a knockout win over a curse blades. What's the path to victory for Caitlin to pay off that $9,300 price tag or $22 on FanDuel? Yeah, you know, I I think that she has to um, work towards a finish, which we know is not really really common within women's MMA. Uh, 55% finish rate for Caitlin Vieira. Um, A decisive win mixing in takedowns and control time probably isn't enough because it's a three-round fight. The reason that Curtis Blades could pay off with that same type of strategy is because he has the two additional rounds. Um, he also throws a ton of significant strikes. He throws a lot of ton of ground and pound. Um, you know, if advances were there, I do think that Curtis Blades would be able to rack up a ton of those, but they're not there anymore. Um, and work towards a, you know, a submission victory over Yana Kuniskaya. Um, Yana is, is tough. Uh, you, you know that she's always prepared for a fight, but I think that she's somewhat exposed once you put her on her back. Next up, we got Charles Rosa taking on Derek Menner. Derek Menner here, seventy four hundred on DK, eighty eight hundred for Rosa, and then Rosa twenty dollars on Fanduel, ten dollars for Derek Menner. Uh, I had a chance to talk to Charles Rosa about two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, basically, uh, best way I can put it is he doesn't think much of Derek Menner on the feet. Uh, understands that uh, he knows what to expect uh, when this fight potentially goes to the ground. In, in particular, mentioned the guillotine. Uh, of Derek Menner, but uh, what's your take on this fight? Yeah, so I, I think that this is a very interesting matchup and probably a fight that I will be having a decent amount of exposure to. I will say that Derek Menner is probably one of the best value plays on the slate. Not saying that he's going to go out there and get a victory over Charles Rosa, but in in the route of most of, most of his wins, I mean, he has a 92% finish rate. He's, he's mainly a round one kind of guy. So a round one kind of guy is someone you always want to circle, especially when they are priced below $8,000. So Minner at 7,400, you know, you could do worse than him of the value plays. But I do think that, you know, uh, Charles Rose is going to be so schooled on the mat. Uh, You know, Charles Rose's take down the fence is something that's not really up to par. If you think back on that Bryce Mitchell fight, he kind of let me down in that situation in that regard because – you know, Charles Rosa is always surrounded by phenomenal Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts at American Top Team. And I will say that Charles Rosa hunts so many submissions off of his back. But as we say every week, when you're such a uh, dominant Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner, you're too comfortable being on your back. And if you do not get a finish, you're going to be behind on the rounds. You know, your opponent's going to have a ton of control time. They're going to be winning on the scorecard. So 
Um, Rosa hunts submissions like crazy. You'll see him go for arm bars, triangles, but he, he mixes things up a lot by going for leg locks. Um, you know, and I also think that Rosa is just really tough to put away. I mean, Bryce Mitchell had him in, you know, I, I don't know how many twisters and he just refused to tap. I mean, how many sticky, sticky situations has he been able to overcome? And Minner's shot at winning is via top control or a quick submission victory. I don't see him getting a quick submission victory. And despite working with James Krause, who is a, you know, a mastermind, we love him. We talk him up every week. I just don't know if you can make, you know, uh, a crazy round one type of guy and stretch him out over three rounds and say, hey, we're going to work on patience and learning to calm down because men are in his losses. He's quick to tap and he does get finished quite a bit when he's out outside of that round one. Yeah, that was actually when I was looking at some of the, the best prop bets on the car. I really like that Charles Rosa wins in round two plus 475. I mean, look, he's going to have to weather that early storm coming from Derek Minner. He knows he's got to weather that early storm. If you get Derek Minner in round two, more times than not, he does wear down, you know, going for those submissions in in the first round. And uh, I mean, look, Charles Rosa has fought the the tougher competition. No question about it. Derek Minner is a vet of this sport, but I do like Charles Rosa uh, in this spot. And I do think this is a fight that in terms of GPPs, you really got to, when you're talking about what fights you have to target, I think this is one of the fights that you have to target in terms of GPPs. Next up, we got our second of four heavyweight matchup, Alexio Olenek and Chris Dawkins. 7,600 for Olenek, 8,600 for Chris Dawkins over on DraftKings. The betting odds for this one, Chris Dawkins, a minus 185 favorite. On the other side, Olenek is at plus 160. Uh, you know, I think when I think of this fight, Pete, I think of the 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 athletic advantage I see that Chris Dawkins has against Olenek. I mean, talk about a step up in competition for Chris Dawkins. I mean, Chris Dawkins goes from debuting against Parker Porter in what was virtually a pick'em, and then taking uh, taking out uh, Rodrigo Nascimento in round one in under a minute via striking. Um, now taking on Alexi Olenek, who has nearly seventy five fights. Um, so it, it's pretty remarkable, and I, I will say that Alexi Olenek has a variety of attacks and a variety of wins, uh, mixing up tons of submissions. You see him. Um, going for Ezekiel chokes, which is like a, uh, it's, it's, it's a white belt move, but he's mastered it. So it's like a, it's a sneaky, sneaky move that he goes for and puts himself in bad positions because he's just so willing to hunt it because he's confident in it. Um, you know, Alexi Olenek, we were on him when he, uh, fought for Brice over doom. We thought that he was in a good spot. He's able to match people on the feet. Um, but more so being able to match the slow heavyweights. Chris Dawkins, what makes him so different in this division is his speed. So he's not a big heavyweight by any means, but he's a faster heavyweight. And with with that you know speed advantage, he's able to touch these guys on the chin a lot quicker, and he's able to disrupt their de- defensive um, ability by just getting there a little bit sooner than they thought. So I do think that Chris Dawkins is stepping up on a you know huge right here. But I do feel like he is able to take advantage of the situation. Chris Dawkins is also a um, – he's either a brown belt or Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, so he, it's not like he's a scrub on the mat whatsoever. Alexi Olenek will have the physicality in this in this fight, but I do think that the speed will just be too much for, for uh, Olenek. And I do like Chris Dawkins quite a bit. 8,600. Never really thought I'd say that in somebody's third professional fight in the UFC. But, uh, I mean – 
Olenek is getting up there in age, and we have seen him start to, you know, outside of round one, how he drops off a cliff with that cardio um, if if the fight's not going his way. So, Doc is eighty six hundred. I, I like him a little bit. It's just obviously the fear of you know the step up in competition. Alexei Olenek at seventy six hundred. You're talking about an underdog. Both these guys have a finish rate of ninety percent, ninety two percent. I mean, the guy is eight and five in the UFC. You could do worse than Alexi Olenek as a GPP target punk play, and uh, that's that's the category I have him in. My only fear about if you want to take a punt play on Olenek mm-hmm. is he does wear down. That is a little bit of a concern I have. That's why I do like the Chris Dawkins wins by TKO KO, which is minus 135, so you don't got to pay as much if you just want Dawkins to win the fight. I mean, if I'm looking at Olenek, his path to victory, obviously we all know what he wants to do. He wants to get this fight to the ground and, and get a submission, but I would be concerned in taking Olenek that if this fight gets into the later second, early third round, he, he just wears out, and we kind of see a situation we saw last week with Anthony Hernandez where Javier just gassed himself out yeah. and then submitted. And then, and then the, the world champion jiu-jitsu practitioner gets submitted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's MMA, Jason, and anything can happen. So, like, uh, it's so crazy how somebody can be so dominant in one area and then come into the UFC and just completely get destroyed in that area. I mean – Think about Gokan Saki getting knocked out against Khalil Roundtree. Gokan Saki is one of the best strikers in the world and then comes into the UFC and gets knocked out by a UFC striker. So, I mean, the sport is unique in its own. Um, and uh, that's why you saw that crazy upset last week in which blew my mind and is one of the craziest of all time. Appreciate everyone who's taking time out of their day to watch the MMA DFS strategy show right here at awesomeo.com. You got to take advantage of the Offers we got going on over Osmo.com. Become a Osmo Plus member. You get a weekly pass for $29.95. Get you access to all the ownership projections, player projections for all the sports that we have over Osmo.com. And if you're just looking for a MMA weekly pass, sign up now for a MMA weekly pass. Osmo Plus MMA weekly pass for $8.95. Start get, stop guessing. Start winning. You got to take advantage of those ownership projections. And by the way, do let you know, Free content up on the website this week is MMA Fighter Projections. So check that out as you are building your lineups for Saturday's UFC Vegas number 17 or 19. Excuse me. Of course, you see right there on the screen the various packages that we do have over there at awesomeo.com. Let's move on to our next matchup. It was a matchup we broke down about, I guess, what, a month ago? I want to say it was. Uh, uh, Hawes and I'm Evolve. 8,200, 8,000, 8,200 for Phil Hawes, 8,000 for I'm I, I guess this is, you know, and, and I'll get your breakdown here, but uh, my general thought is I like Phil Hawes in the first round, but this fight gets to the second and third round. I'm not sure how much I really like him. Yeah, man, I am uh, I'm a big Phil Hawes guy. And I was hoping that this fight was never rebooked again because I think that this is a very tough matchup. And the reason I think it's a very tough matchup is because I think that uh, Nasruddin Imovov is able to match him in a lot of departments. Obviously, Phil Hawes is so dangerous in round one. So if you're looking for a guy that can get you that quick Francis and gone one-minute bonus, I think that Phil Hawes is that guy because that's his path to victory and path of least resistance, get it done early. But when he does that and he fails – he, he does seem to taper off. And, uh, you know, we see that fatigue makes a coward out of all of us. You saw that in the last weekend, Rodolfo Vieira, you know, amazing decorated fighter that once fatigue got a hold of him and made, a, made him, 
you know, susceptible to getting finished. So I will say that, you know, Hawes is a guy to circle. I'll definitely have my shares of Hawes. But I do think that Imovov is an interesting underdog here, slight underdog, but, uh, you know, 8,000 on DraftKings. He's something to cons- something to consider. I like him quite a bit. I like his boxing. I like his uh, submission ability. Um, I just think that he's a big guy, too. He, he's a big frame man. And um, I just think that he's able to compete and go tit for tat with Phil Hawes here. So I'm siding slightly with a uh, Nasruddin Imovov, even though I don't want to. And, um, you know, I'm excited for the fight. It's one of the fights that I'm really looking forward to now that it's actually happening. But um, probably a fight that you're going to need in, in your lineups. Miles, uh, with his hot take of the card, winner of Hawes, Imovov will 100% be optimal. It's not a bad – I mean, I, it's – when we originally broke this down, I think it was like a couple months ago, whenever it was a month ago, uh, you know, we mentioned that you need this fight. It's going to be a part of the optimal lineup. And uh, generally in that 8,800 range, you know, more often than not, those fights are going to be, you know, pretty consistent with the top lineups. Of course. Uh, you got to be sure to uh, check out us on Saturday live before lock. We'll be on at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to get you ready for this fight card. Of course, starts at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And this is a Tom Aspinall fight week. So, you know, Pete is all excited about that one. We'll talk about that matchup here against Andre Arlovsky. Aspinall 9,200, 7,000 for Arlovsky, and then 22 and 8. Eight over on FanDuel, and we'll look at the betting odds. A almost a two and a half to one betting favorite for Tom Aswalt minus two forty five. But Pete Andre Arlovski, he's just he, he. They keep lining up these younger guys with them, and somehow it's always a close decision. Yeah, Arlovski just won't go away, right? I mean, like they're trying to put that final nail in the coffin. He just won't go away. They're like, man, what do we got to do to get this guy out of here? But uh, you know. They recognize that Arlovsky is like ultimate gatekeeper for the upper echelon, you know, the upcoming fighters. You see it against Tanner Bozer, um, Felipe Lins. Like, like you see a lot of this. And I think that Arlovsky is a guy that just kind of keeps proving people wrong because over the years, it seems like he started to limit his mistakes. He used to be a lot more reckless as he was younger, um, whether it's getting smarter over the years or just not trying to take as much damage and trying to be very, very careful with his career. I will say that Tom Aspinall is my boy, and I'm going to take credit for this. I'm going to take credit for Tom Aspinall. I'm going to take credit for Chemayev. I'm going to take credit for Romanov. I'm taking credit for all three of those guys because now I feel like we got three actual top, like contenders that can like make waves in their, their division. And I love Tom Aspinall, you know, former sparring partner for Tyson Fury, um, you know, out of Calvon MMA. Excellent, excellent hands. And what he does compared to other fighters is he puts, you know, combinations together. So, um, you know, he's not going to go out there and throw one shot and be kind of, you know, behind on the scorecards because Arlovsky answers him at all times. I think that Aspinall, um, you know, can match the volume, can exceed the volume. If things get, you know, tough, he can also resort to takedowns. Now, it's hard to say that Arlovsky's going to get taken down and submitted by somebody. But I will say that Tom Aspinall is just a very well-rounded martial arts. And I think that this is his breakout right here. I think that, uh, you know, even if it's a, a decision, which I think is everybody's fear, I think that it's just going to be an impressive performance against an aging veteran. Um, I think that Tom Aspinall is the side to play. You could do worse than Arlovsky at 7,000. That just keeps proving everybody wrong. I was, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, I, you know, 
I don't think I'd love to do it, but Arlovsky is a cash play. Yeah, I think he's going to be a popular cash play, right? Because like he's almost minimum salary. He's a guy that keeps coming through. Uh, how many times have we bet against him? And he just, you know, he's always there. He's always showing up. He's a big guy. And also, we talk about how people get starstruck when they're fighting certain fighters. Um, you know, and I, I wonder if Felipe Lins, who used to train with them, uh, Tanner Bozer, you know, a guy that's been around that division for a while, you, you start seeing a marquee name standing in front of you and you kind of start to like, oh man, I'm really fighting Andre, Andre Arlovsky right here. Like, I think that Tom Aspinall is the guy that, you know, sees no face, goes out there and uh, puts together a great performance and gets a victory. Moving on the fight car, we got Jared Gordon taking on Danny Chavez, plus 125 for Jared Gordon, minus 145 for Danny Chavez. Over on DK, 8,400 for Chavez, 7,800 for Gordon, and it is 17 and 14 over on FanDuel. Chavez, the $17 fighter, and $14 for Jared Gordon. Now, Jared Gordon's your boy, man. Yeah. And I, I, can, I can just see it on your face. So, uh, obviously, you're not loving this fight for Jared. I'm not loving having to break down a fight for my friend and my roommate when I was, you know, living at, at Cowboys Ranch. Like, I'm I'm tight with Gordon, so like I obviously think that he can perform well. I I've, I've been in the training room with him, um, and I, I think that you're starting to see that he's much more of just an aggressive fighter that he's able to mix in takedowns, and I think that was the key in that fish cold fight. Now, I will say that Chavez had quite a debut. Chavez had quite a debut because he was able to stuff takedowns um, against TJ Brown. And when he stuffed them, it was like he put a stamp on it that he stuffed the takedown. Like it was like not even close, like throwing a child. Like he was like, you know, not you're not in my weight class, boy. Now, I will say that Chavez, if you look at his career, you know, in totality, Chavez, despite how awesome his striking looked with a low calf kick, aggressive hands, mixing up head kicks and stuff and takedowns, his finish rate sits at 27%. So, you know, maybe he's starting to find that power late in his career. Um, or maybe it's just a small sample size and it was like a really just impressive debut because I don't want to overshadow his career as a whole. Um, you know, at 8,400, I think that Shab is going to be very, very popular because of how good he looked in his debut. Now, Gordon at 7,800. We've seen what he's able to do as far as potential and racking up tons of points. If the scoring system that we have now was out for that fish cold fight, like his score, I, I remember how bad it was because they didn't count so many of his strikes as significant and they had no total strikes, obviously. So I think that Gordon is a pretty good underdog here. Um, probably not my favorite fight to target though, Jason, honestly, like I feel like this is going to be an ugly back and forth type of contest. People think that Gordon doesn't really have a chin because he's been knocked out by some big names. I mean, Diego Fajaya, Charles Oliveira, uh, Joaquin Silva. I don't really know if if Chavez can really do the same exact things. Plus, you think about Gordon being at you know Sanford MMA, surrounded by excellent talent. I think the kid's getting better. So uh, I, I'm going to pass on this fight, but I, 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 I do think that it's going to go the distance. Next up, we got your car close taking on Luis Pena. Luis Pena, the betting underdog. This one at plus 150, minus 170 
for Drakkar close. Uh, looking over at the salaries here, 9000 for Drakkar on DraftKings, $18 on FanDuel, and for Luis, $7,200 on DK, and $13 over on FanDuel. Uh, Pete, this fight to me has got decision written all over it. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think that you have a guy that has actually shown promise in the division versus the guy that has just shown hype. Um, and the guy that's just shown hype is Luis Pena. And, you know, I was kind of tooting that Luis Pena horn for a while saying, you know, look at his frame, especially when he's down at 45. He's 6'3", has a 75-inch reach. You know, I'm always sitting there saying, you know, reach, the fact that he's a southpaw, but I don't want to uh, take away from the eye test. And the eye test shows me that Luis Pena, when the going gets tough sometimes, that he, you know, he kind of breaks. And you saw him kind of leave his neck out there against Kama Worthy, who ended up working, you know, putting together a beautiful gu- uh, guillotine choke. But, uh, you know, Dracar close, very, very aggressive, looking to rebound off of a knockout loss to Benil Dariush. Obviously, that has to weigh in your mind. Like, how healed is your brain? Um, how are you going to be able to take a shot? Are you going to be, uh, you know, wobbly if you take a shot? Dracar's striking defense is probably his biggest hole. And I will say it's because he leaves his chin straight up in the air. And when he leaves his chin straight up in the air, I'm like, man, come on. Like, get with a good coach that, like, tells you to keep your chin tucked. Um, do tennis ball drills. Put a tennis ball underneath your chin and hold it and do all your mitt work, all, all your sparring. If he's able to make that slight adjustment, which I think it's too late in his career to do, um, I would feel extremely confident. I, I think that 9,000 close, I think that he's, uh, you know, the A side of the fight. Um, he can win this fight everywhere, in my opinion. I think he's got the power, the aggression, the takedowns. Um, you know, I, I just think that close is the A side of the fight. And if he was cheaper, I would probably be targeting him a lot. I will be getting my shares of Jakar close. If you're buying into the hype of, of Luis Pena, you know, not having any pressure, maybe at 7,200 he pulls it off. But, I mean, he's been in some pretty, pretty good spots before if you look at his, you know, run in the UFC. And he hasn't really come through spect- in spectacular fashion. You know, one thing about Tracar Close, this guy's been through several gyms over the past couple of years, was at the lab at one time, was at Fight Ready at one time. Now he's training at a different spot in Arizona. So I think that's also something to kind of put into into your thought process when you're putting in there. And, of course, Luis Pena taking this fight on short note so well. Of course, he, he made the transition to American Top Team last year mm-hmm. after being at AKA for a couple of years. So something to kind of think about. In terms of that, of course, uh, it, be sure to be following Osmo on Twitter at Osmo underscore com. Help us get to 30,000 followers on Twitter, and we've got a giveaway going on. Was we're giving away thirty free weekly passes to our followers. All you got to do is follow at awesomeo underscore com on Twitter. Help us get to thirty thousand followers. Let's move on to the next matchup. That is going to be Eddie Wineland and John Castaneda. Eddie Wineland seventy nine hundred on DK, eighty three hundred for John Castaneda. Over on FanDuel, sixteen dollars for Castaneda, fifteen dollars for Eddie Wineland. Uh, of course, I mean, look, everyone knows who Eddie Wineland is. Uh, John Castaneda, who came into the UFC last year after a run in Cabate's America. This is a fight that I just, I don't know how it goes. I just think that this is like, I mean, you're, you're throwing a guy who was just knocked out, you know, against Sean O'Malley. And I think it might be my favorite knockout. Like it really is just such a beautiful knockout, feigning an uppercut and following through with a right cross. It was just so beautiful. 
in Eddie Wineland. Um, you know, going up against Sean Castaneda, who lost his debut to Nathaniel Wood, a fighter that I'm really high on. I will say that this, despite Wineland, you know, just suffering a knockout loss, I think that this is a big, big step of competition for Castaneda as far as, you know, facing a guy that has finishing ability. Um, you know, Eddie Wineland's very good because he's so seasoned over the years, you know, his run in the WEC, uh, he has plenty of knockout wins in his career, uh, 79% finish rate for Eddie Wineland. I do feel like, you know, a lot of people could be overlooking Eddie Wineland here. He's six and eight in the UFC. His salary sits at 7,900 overall. He's 24 and 14. So if people are kind of doing that box score watching, or they're looking at records comparing, you see Castaneda sitting there at 17 and five. Let's be real. Castaneda has not fought anybody that Eddie Wineland has fought over the years. And Eddie Wineland has some amazing victories against guys that are trying to take him down, against guys that are trying to stand up with him. I don't really look at Castaneda as a guy that's going to go out there and knock out Wineland. So how does he win? Does he submit Eddie? I don't see it. I don't see it happening. He'd have to edge him out in the scorecards, which is making this fight for Castaneda not like my favorite spot. If I'm going to target this spot or I'm going to target this fight, I would much rather take a chance on Eddie Wineland, who you know has that power in his right hand and the combination ability and the cardio to push it and to break a newcomer. So I I do favor Eddie Wineland here. And in 2021, I I would not think that I would be saying that. But in this matchup, Jason, I think that Eddie Wineland's decided to play. 7,900 discount, obviously. And naturally, I'm targeting a lot more underdogs than usual just because there's 15 fights. So I'm, there, I'm naturally going to land on some more. Yeah, I mean, that's going to, you know, when you're putting together those lineups and whether you're a, a, a single-entry player, a three-entry player, or a 150-entry player, I mean, you're going to be able to create a ton of different lineups just based on who potentially you want to get in there, especially that under 8,000 range. Now, in terms of fights, I do believe that you have to be looking at rostering the matchup between Nate Landwehr and Julian Arosa to me is a fight that you got to be considering here. Um, essentially, a pick and fight here. Minus 105 for Arosa, minus 115 for Nate Landwehr. Uh, and they're both 8,100 over on DK. Over on FanDuel, $16 for Nate and $15 for Julian Arosa. I mean, obviously, the question with Julian Arosa is do you trust the chin? Yeah, I, I think that this is an interesting spot because we're seeing two fighters with the 8,100 price tag. I don't really recall that happening before. Maybe in like late replacement fights, they, they put same salary just because they couldn't figure it out. But uh, 8,100, I expected you know Nate Lamber to be a, a decent favorite in this fight. And for some reason, Vegas is, is not liking it. And I think it's due to the reach and the height of Julian Arosa. Um, I think that Nate Lamber has fought some really, really good competition, especially over an M1. Um, you know, he's, he's able to mix in takedowns if he needs it, but his wrestling usually is just to keep the fight on the feet where he comes forward and crashes forward against his opponents, closes that distance, puts together good combinations where you do see, uh, Julian Arosa, you know, kind of pop shot and throwing single shots, um, you know, pulling off a nice victory over Sean Woodson, who is a tall rangy guy, somebody that the, the UFC, and even I think us, we were kind of hyped about, like, we were like, man, this guy's such a big guy for the division. But, you know, the cardio, you know, just didn't check out in that fight. Julian Rosa started to, you know, mix in some good takedowns, um, you know, mix in some, some good strikes, and then got the, that nice choke. Um, I do think that the submissions lie for Julian Rosa, but I'm siding with Landwehr quite a bit. I, I just think that he catches Julian Rosa 
on the chin with one of these, knocks him down, maybe gets a couple knockdowns, even if it's in a, you know, via decision. I've seen Julian Arosa rocked, knocked out by a lot of people and hurt. I mean, yes, he has kind of been put into some bad spots over the course of his career and come through in the underdog position before. I mean, especially against Sean Woodson. So a lot of people are going to do that MMA meth. Well, he just beat Sean Woodson, who was a prospect. Why wouldn't he beat Nate Landwehr, who just went the distance against uh, Darren Elkins? I hate to tell you, I think that Landwehr puts combinations together better than a lot of people. Um, has some some sneaky pop in aggressiveness. So I'm signing Landwehr, and I think that it's going to be a part of my lineup like crazy. Yeah, I think you should be targeting this fight, but I'm signing with Landwehr, and 8100 I think it's a discount. I spoke to Arosa two weeks ago, and this actually his first fight since recovering from COVID. He mentioned about, uh, you know, he did have a little bit of effects in terms of getting that cardio back to where he wants it to be. So that's something to note there. Uh, Miles asks, he goes, more impressive win, Landwehr over Elkins or Rosa over Woodson? I would say it's Landwehr over Elkins based on, you know, Elkins being in the UFC. Yeah, he's, he's the heavy bag that chases you around the ring. But let me tell you that, you know, Darren Elkins' pace is tough to match, and Landwehr matched it. Um, you know, defending, you know, Elkins' takedowns is tough, and he did that. Um, and winning on the scorecards over Elkins, I think, is impressive. But Elkins has some sneaky wins. Woodson could have been just an overhyped prospect. Uh, prospect. Uh, I do think that he's talented. I feel like he cuts a little bit too much weight. It was a great win for Julian Arosa, but uh, I, I think that it's not Julian Arosa's best win. Let's move on to the next matchup. We've got Pat Sabatini, the CFFC champion, making his UFC debut. He's plus 160, taking on Rafael Alves, who's minus 185. Alves, 8,900 DK, 7,300 for Sabatini. $19 for Alves and $9 for Sabatini. Uh, what's your thoughts on this one? A short notice fight here for Sabatini making his UFC debut. Yeah, I, I love this fight. And I think that this is a fight that I'll, you know, be smashing exposure to. I think Alves will be decently popular um, at 8,900, 74% finish rate uh, going up against, like you said, the CFFC champ in uh, Sabatini. And he has an 85% finish rate. Both these guys are Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts. And I do think that they are coming from great camps. Uh, Alves comes from uh, ma- uh, MMA Masters, whereas Sabatini, you know, it's that Henzo Gracie Philly area, uh, working a lot with uh, Daniel Gracie and those guys. And I, I do th- I do favor fighters that come out of a tough promotion. And I will tell you that CFFC fighters have had a lot of success uh, on the big stage. If you think about Sean Brady, uh, Jared Gordon, both guys that kind of dominated their opposition in that promotion have had good success. Man, for me, like, uh, it's the underdog for me. Sabatini, I like him here. I think that he minimizes mistakes. I think that Alves, despite having probably some more power and some, like, more aggressiveness, Sabatini's like that constant work rate, pushing towards a finish, minimizing mistakes, I think you need the fight. I'll be having plenty of Alves, but I think that Sabatini, whether it's via submission or via, you know, striking, I think that he's able to get a finish here. And Alves, if you look in his losses, he's kind of like that, you know, kill or be killed type of mentality. He goes out there on his shield, whether he's going to try to finish you or get finished in the process. And I think going up against a technician like Sabatini, I think it could be a recipe for a disaster. I might be alone on this island, Jason, but I like Sabatini at 7,300. 
I'm I'm with you on that island, so you're not alone. Uh, of course, uh, this is MMA DFS Strategy Show right here at awesomeo.com. Be sure to hit that thumbs up button right here on YouTube. Also, if you're not subscribed to also, you got to hit that subscribe. And also hit that notification bell so you know when a show is live here on the channel. Coming up right after us will be the uh, late slate NBA live before lock to get you ready for the late slate of tonight's NBA action. We'll move on to our next matchup. A female matchup, but when we talk about uh, the lower echelon of, of the UFC's women's uh, fights, this is going to be one of them. Shane Dobson versus Casey O'Neill. I can see the, the look on your face here. Shane Dobson plus 130. Casey O'Neill minus 150. 7,700 for Shayna on DK. 8,500 for Casey. And then it is $18 for O'Neill on FanDuel. $13 for Shane Dobson. Pete, the best way I can put this, this is striker versus grappler. This is a fight that shouldn't exist, and this is a fight that if you actually place money on, you are out of your mind. Um, you know, I, I will say that O'Neal at 8,500 and Dobson at 7,700, man, talk about flip a coin, turn around, and just close your eyes. I, I don't really know what's going to happen. You did, you did see Shannon Dobson come in and kind of uh, overperform in her victory over uh, Maria Agapova, and I will say that she was a significant underdog, and I – think that might be the one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. Um, I mean, she, she was just completely written off. And I think that, you know, it goes to show you that the UFC hype machine can really distract you from facts and footage. And, um, you know, I did think that even if you look at footage, that Maria Agapova was definitely the A side. But any given day, one scramble, Fire's feeling ill. You don't know. There's tons of factors that you just don't know. Damn, somebody could be off mentally. And, and, you know, as a fighter, I understand how crazy and unpredictable this game is. I don't really want to pick this fight, but I have to for you guys. I will say that Shauna Dobson has terrible takedown defense. Um, and in saying that, she's a she's okay with her Brazilian jiu-jitsu where she's comfortable off of her back, which is a negative, right? because you're either getting beaten up or losing on the scorecards. But on the feet, and she just does have some aggressiveness about her. I don't really know if anybody's ever tested O'Neal in her professional career. I just feel like it's it's kind of too much too soon for O'Neal. And even though that Dobson looks like a cupcake matchup, Dobson overperforms and kind of spoils the debut for O'Neal. Like O'Neal's shot is obviously getting on top, winning rounds via control time. I mean, I don't feel – unless you know and you've trained with O'Neal or Dobson, it's hard to actually have a confident read on this. But, like, I wouldn't mind Dobson, you know, at 7,700 as an underdog play. Like, I think that she's in an okay spot to take out another overhyped prospect. Yeah, I mean, your your big concern with Shane Dobson here is whether or not she can stop the takedown because she has not shown the ability to stop the takedown in the UFC our mm-hmm. opponents in her four UFC fights have attempted eight takedowns. She's been taken down eight times. Do I dare say hashtag takedown city? Yeah, or 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 armbar from guard. I mean, something could happen, right? Like O'Neal. So it's a bad thing when you're fa- when you're facing um, favorable matchups throughout your career, right? Because if you have not been tested, you don't know how to respond, or it's kind of like. 
you know, when you're, when you're being fed everything, you don't know really how to respond and, and you're not able to overcome that adversity. I think that is a very, very difficult fight to debut on. And it's a difficult fight to, to choose, but it's probably going to end up being optimal just because they're both low level. Yeah, it's it's one of those fights I just I look at and just say, uh, I, I don't know if I, I want to go, uh, you know, that route. Let's move on. We got Chas Kelly against Jamal Emmers, seventy four hundred for Chas Kelly, eighty eight hundred for Emmers, and twenty dollars for Emmers on Fanduel, nine dollars for Chas Kelly. Chas Kelly been around a long time. I don't know if he if he knows how to be a boring fighter. Yeah, I mean, I Chas Kelly, seventy four hundred. He's a dog. Like he goes out there and he's always working towards a finish to be a grappling. His striking, I think I put him in my top 10 worst strikers of all time. Um, you know, but he makes up for that striking deficiency with excellent grappling and jujitsu. Um, Chas Skelly, obviously you are going for the narrative that he's going to be able to either scramble on the mat or get Emmers down. Now I do feel like Emmers has some really sneaky wrestling offensively he's able to take his opponents down. I wouldn't suggest doing that against Chas Kelly because you're kind of welcoming the beast and putting your neck out there. And Chas Kelly has had, has some really deceptive chokes, um, hits him from some odd angles and, uh, you know, chains together guillotines, Dars chokes, anacondas, all of that pretty quickly. So I wouldn't want Chas Kelly on your back or anywhere on the mat for that matter. Um, I think that Emmer's, should just keep it up on the feet. He has the wrestling ability to keep it on the feet and punish Chaz Skelly, despite you know you know Skelly's okay uh, you know takedown attempts. I will say that Emmers can defend, um, pick him apart on the feet. I like Emmers quite a bit, but seventy four hundred Skelly definitely a guy that can go out there and get you a submission win and uh, get you a finish in that underdog spot. So for me, it's Emmers. I like him quite a bit. Now, when you're not able to watch our shows live on YouTube, you can check them out as a part of the Osmo Podcast Network. Just go to Osmo.com slash podcast to find the podcast that you are looking for. Make sure to leave us a five-star review for your chance to win a free month of Osmo Plus Platinum. Of course, uh, be sure when you, you download the MMA Podcast, you got to get that five-star review. Help myself and Pete out. That really does help the show grow and to get to more people. So as always, we appreciate everyone who checks out the show right here at awesomeboat.com. Two more fights to go here. Let's go to Eamon Zahabi, Draco Rodriguez, another fight that was supposed to take place back in December. Pete, I, I sell me on Eamon Zahabi of why I should roster him. It's tough to sell you um, because he has been absent from the cage for quite some time. And it's another situation of Eamon Sahabi being hyped up to be, you know, another notable name within the division, not being the most active fighter, um, you know, having that Sahabi last name. So people obviously are going to hold him to a higher standard, especially because his brother's Faraz Sahabi, GSP's amazing coach. Um, I will say that Sahabi is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I know that uh, Draco Rodriguez, you know, good hands, good jiu-jitsu off of his back. But it finds himself on, on his back quite a bit in some of his fights. Um, and he's comfortable there. And despite not being as highly regarded as a BJJ practitioner, he hunts finishes and is the younger guy. Um, standing up, you do know that um, Draco Rodriguez has good hands and pull counters really well. His cross is really well. Both these guys have 86% finish rate. So I feel like this, this fight's going to be a banger. It's going to be a good one. It's a fight that I'll definitely be getting my exposure to both of them. 7,500 for Sahabi. 
you know, he's not an underdog I'm ignoring at all. It's just in the UFC, he has underperformed. Um, you know, he has had some good moments. If you think about that, Ricardo uh, Ramos fight uh, was was doing well, ultimately got knocked out. Um, you know, it's – but losing that, – that last loss is kind of what's sticking out to me. You know, I don't really hold his opponent, you know, in the highest regard. I do think that Draco Rodriguez is, is somebody that's exciting. I do think that Rodriguez goes for it, goes for the kill, uh, makes some mistakes in the process, but at least he goes for it and you know that he's going to give full effort. So I will slightly lean Rodriguez, but if you sat there and told me that Zahabi, you know, pulled the upset, I wouldn't be surprised at all because, you know, he's a good instructor up there at TriStar and also, you know, he is surrounded by top talent. So in a, in a spot like this, you would think that he'd like to spoil the debut. And the opening fight of the night will be a heavyweight matchup. Sergey Spivak taking on Jared Vandera. These two guys are supposed to fight back in December, December, but Vandera had to pull out to, to due to a positive COVID test, which he told me uh, no lingering effects from it. He said it actually did affect his coach uh, longer than it affected him. Uh, but uh, you look at this one, 9,100 for Spivak, 7,100 for Vandera. Uh, what's your take on this one, Pete? Yeah, it's about top control, right? Like, I, I feel like, you know, with heavyweight MMA, it comes down to, um, you know, cardio, obviously, you know, which fighters have, you know, the edge in the power department. Um, and if a fighter ends up on top position, uh, we have Hunter in the chat asking about, you know, what's the odds that, say, uh, Vandera ends up on top. And I would say that if he ends up on top, you know, on, on the ground, that that's a great position for him to be in. I don't really foresee that happening against Sergey Spivak. I think, I think that uh, Sergey Spivak has really evolved, um, has fought some good fighters in the UFC. You know, you see Walt Harris just taking him out quickly, but I think that's unfair. I think that, you know, you see that win over Carlos Felipe, who, if you look at Carlos Felipe now, he's looking like a pretty decent fighter in the UFC for the division. So, um, you know, Sergey Spivak, despite not being the biggest heavyweight, does have a nice Sambo background does have a nice clinch game, does have the ability to change levels and take people down and dictate where the fight takes place. You know, and I did see Bandera get controlled in the clinch on the regional scene quite a bit. And I think that if, you know, if Spivak's in there with him against the cage or controlling him, I think that Spivak's winning that battle. And, uh, you know, I think that Spivak is a nice pick, you know, as far as heavyweights especially heavyweight fights, this probably is my least favorite of them all. I feel like this is my least favorite of the heavyweight fights, but I do think and predict Spivak will get a decisive victory here. Uh, Same will ask if I'm targeting the first fight. I wouldn't say I'm targeting the fight. I mean, you got 15 fights. I just don't know if this is the highest of scoring uh, of DF uh, of fights on Saturday. But, uh, you know, I'll probably, you know, in, in a 20 max, I'll probably have probably 30% total in the fight yeah yeah i mean it's it's going to be tough to have a really high percentage ownership for certain fights because there's so many fights on the card right like you're going to be spread pretty thin so i think like a strategy like this like you could try to cover your bases cover all bases here but you know now you're talking about having exposure to 30 fighters whether you know or you can have concentrated exposure to certain fights that you think that you really feel good about as far as the optimal Let's go through our straight-up fight picks. These are not DFS-related. These are just our straight-up fight picks. I'm going to main event, go, I'm gonna go Curtis Blades. In the co-main event, give me Caitlin Vieira. Then we go Rosa, 
Dawkins, Halls, Aspinall, Gordon, Close. Give me John Castaneda. I don't know if how good I feel about that one. Uh, Nate Landwehr. Uh, give me Pat Sabatina as an upset pick. Uh, give me another upset pick in Shana Dobson. And then uh, give me the last three favors, Emmers, Rodriguez, and Spivak. Yeah, so I'm going to go uh, Blades, Caitlin Vieira, Charles Rosa, Chris Dawkins, Nasruddin Imovov, uh, Tom Aspinall, uh, Sabatini, Slightly into Gordon, rooting for my buddy, uh, Dracar Close, Eddie Wineland, um, Nate Landwehr, Shauna Dobson, Jamal Emmers, uh, Draco Rodriguez, Sergey Spivak. Did you give you one on Alves and, and Sabatini? Yep, Sabatini. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's do a couple of quick true-false ones before we get out of here. True-false. The optimal lineup will have three heavyweights. It's a great question, Jason. I think... Uh, I think it'll have, I mean, at least one is a cheap answer. I'll say two max. That's why I said three. Yeah. <laughs> I knew if I put two, it was an easy answer. I got to put yeah. three to make it a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it's three. Uh, number two, there will be a fight that ends in under 60 seconds. 15 fights. I'll say true. Wow. There's only been two this year so far. And they both happened on the same car. Corey Sanhagen and O'Day Osborne. I mean, 15 fights. I'm sure somebody's going to be. Yeah, I'll say true. Uh, and then the final one, the, this card, 15 fights. We'll see at least seven fights go the distance. Ooh, seven seems like a big number, bro. But I know it's 15. Eek. I will say at least seven. I will say true. I think it's true. I really do. I think you're going to be right around that seven number. I really do. I think there's some fights. We got there. we got to uh, come back to these. Especially, like, it'd be fun. Yeah, we'll have to see after the fact. Yeah. Uh, we'll get a super chat in here for Sam before we get out of here for the late slate NBA Live before lock. Uh, Sam, we'll appreciate you in the super chat. He says, usual questions, top two cash, top two GPP, top two underdogs. Who's your top choice for inside the distance? Top two MVP on FanDuel. Top two champions on Superdraft. Uh, let's just start top two cash. It would be Blades and Lamware for me. Oh, not Aspinall? I'm not going with your No, board. I mean, like, I think, like, Aspinall is going to do great, but as far as score-wise, I don't know. Uh, top two GPP. I think Aspinall has potential. He could have that quick finish. So I'll say Aspinall and Dawkins. Top two underdogs. I will say Sabatini and Wineland. Top choice inside the distance. Ooh. Give me... Ooh, that's a hard one. It's 15 fights. I will say... Give me Landware. Nice. Top two MVPs on FanDuel. Who's going to stuff takedowns? Well, who's going to stuff takedowns? I think Imovog would have to stuff a lot of takedowns, so I think that that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another champion over there. I like Lamar at 16, too. I think that's pretty good. But Blades at 23, it's 
that's nice. Uh, just looking at the uh, over on Superdraft, uh, you know, the ones that uh, I'm trying to, one that I really saw, I'm going down my list here that I thought was kind of juicy. Um, Eddie Wineland at 1.35 times, I think, is, is a nice one. Sabatini yeah. at 1.45. This is for the flex position. This is a champion. Um, Shane Dobson, 1.4, I think, is is, is interesting. Um, Draco Rodriguez, 1.15, I think, is another one that is interesting there. Samuel, appreciate you there. Uh, in the Super Chat, of course, myself and Pete will be back on Saturday, live for lock, 4 p.m. Eastern time. That is going to do it for the MMA DFS Strategy Show. Coming up next right here on AwesomeMode.com will be the NBA live for lock for the late slate. So, Good luck to everyone coming up here tonight if you're playing a little DFS, and we will talk to you again on Saturday for Live Before Lock.